Welcome back to Talk Green to Me, a podcast about materials and sustainability. This is a follow-up to our discussion on sustainable forestry. This is episode 13B, an interview with Rebecca Barnard from SAPI. Rebecca is here to talk about how the practice of sustainable forestry actually works. So without further ado, let's get to our interview. Thank you, Rebecca, for joining us today. We are just going to get started with just your basic introduction, if you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself. Thank you for the opportunity. So my name is Rebecca Bernard, and I am the Forestry Certification Manager for SAPI North America and SAPI Canada Enterprises. And in my role as Forest Certification Manager, I maintain and manage our programs to several voluntary sustainability standards that focus on sustainable forestry, responsible wood procurement and fiber sourcing, and what is called chain of custody, which is a way of tracking certified fiber into the products and to sales for customers. I've been with SAPI North America for almost three years. Okay, great. So how did SAPI get started? SAPI North America has a long history of pulp and paper making in North America. Under previous uh, ownerships and names, S.D. Warren, Scott Paper, these are a couple names of some of the SAPI-owned mills. SAPI North America is a subsidiary of SAPI Limited, which is a global company headquartered in Johannesburg, South Africa. And together, SAPI North America and SAPI Canada are made up by four mills that produce a variety of diverse products for customers and for society. So you mentioned um, SAPI making a variety of diverse products. What are they and what is SAPI's overall goal or mission? SAPI exists to build a thriving world by unlocking the power of renewable resources to benefit people, communities, and the planet using primarily wood fiber produce products that range from high-quality graphic papers, packaging products. We also make dissolving wood pulp, which is used in textiles, pharmaceuticals. And we also make casting and release paper. It is used to produce colors, patterns that can be imprinted and then released from other uh, onto other materials. wanted to ask, like, what do foresters do? What does forestry mean? Forestry is a really exciting and diverse profession, and it's been a passion and a joy of mine to work in forestry for my entire career. Uh, I think it is pretty common, you know, to have that perception of a forester as uh, what we consider that that old-time lumberjack. But the profession of forestry requires intense education, and just like any profession, it's very diverse. When I refer to a forester, I typically mean someone who has gone to a minimum four-year heavy science and biology academic training and background. There's training and education on topics such as uh, harvesting techniques, wood utilization standards and practices, but also things such as wildlife habitat, biological diversity, soil and water quality, recreation and aesthetics. You know, we want to make sure that when we as foresters are working with diverse landowners who have diverse goals and objectives, that we help them achieve their goals for their land. And that could range from uh, being able to pass the land down through their family. It could be quality wildlife habitat for bird watching or for hunting. There's like so many different aspects to it, which I was not aware of. Tell us what really excites you in this area a little bit. Yeah, what do you enjoy? 
Sure. As a forester, I really enjoy being able to contribute to the sustainability of our planet and to be able to contribute to meeting the resource needs of society. For me, it's very rewarding to know that my passion and my career is making a difference in helping to provide forests for future generations. This includes things like making sure that we have high quality wildlife habitat to support everything from rare, threatened, and endangered species to game species. I think forests have provided a lot of solutions for us in the past, and they are just starting to show us the potential that they have to solve the problems of the future. So are there any common misconceptions you've noticed people have about forests? Yeah, you know, one of the one of the common misperceptions globally, but also here in North America about forestry is that old forests, mature forests are best. And that is scientifically not true. Certain wildlife species need mature, tall, old trees. But certain wildlife species need open areas or they need shrubby areas uh, with maybe newly regenerated uh, trees. And some species need open areas for forage so that they, in particular bird species so they can see their prey on the ground. And so that diversity of age classes and also the diversity of management techniques is very important if we want to maintain biological diversity. Along those lines, are there any other misconceptions that you come across in this area? Yes. Related to that is also the idea that an older stand of trees, that they're more diverse and healthier. That stereotype is certainly untrue. In the last several years, for example, we are watching huge chunks of western forests burn up from wildfires. Those western communities many decades ago and over the last several decades lost a lot of their forest industry because of the perception that harvesting trees and active management was bad. Now they have lost the ability to create economic revenue to invest back in their forest, and they've lost the infrastructure in many cases. Things like roads, forest management contributes tax dollars to invest in local uh, and state road systems, and they've lost the ability to go in after the fire and to restore those areas. In some cases, it costs hundreds of dollars per acre to go in and try to reforest these areas that have been burned. Sort of going back a little bit, so can you tell us what sustainable forestry means? Sustainable forest management is responsible management that is done in compliance with laws and regulations and makes sure that those forests can meet a balance uh, of needs, both economic, ecological, and societal needs now and in the future. So you mentioned these um, economic, ecological, and societal factors that kind of come into play. Could you elaborate a little bit on those and how they relate to sustainable forestry? Probably natural to start with the planet, essentially our ecosystem. This ranges from responsible harvesting practices that continue to protect soil and water resources. So in the United States, each state maintains scientific best management practices. And these best management practices have evolved over five and six decades to make sure that forest management activities are done in a way that protect high quality uh, water and soil resources. What does this look like more in practice? Can you give us an example? In the wood baskets that Sappy North America operates in, a lot of our harvesting is done in the winter on frozen ground conditions. 
and that helps prevent soil compaction. And soil compaction can be a barrier to forest regeneration. It also helps prevent against soil erosion when it comes to the planet. It's always a balancing act of looking at what is currently there on the land and envisioning the future. And many times forest, sustainable forest management is necessary to mimic natural disturbance patterns. Can you tell us more about what that means? We as human beings like to control things, right? We like to control Mother Nature. But fire is also Mother Nature and nature's way of replenishing and restoring and allowing for disturbance for the next generation of trees and the next generation of plants to grow. So fire is not always bad, but we like to control it. We like to put it out because it has other risks. And so if we're going to continue to put out wildfires and continue to prevent floods and continue to prevent some of these natural ways of creating that uh, balance and diversity, then harvesting and thinning can provide and can be done in a way to mimic that pattern, to mimic that timing, to mimic the size and the distribution of what would have otherwise been nature's way. In terms of the planet and ecological values, it's really sort of balancing using the trees as we need them, but also you're managing the forest in a way that you're protecting the soil, you're protecting the water, you're protecting the wildlife. It is correct to say that sustainable forest management is about balancing the needs of the planet while providing needs for society. That could be needs such as forest products, which are obviously renewable, things such as clothing, packaging, solid and dimensional lumber for houses and for buildings. And then simultaneous with that, there's the economic revenue that is provided uh, that creates very high quality paying jobs and uh, has a, a huge direct and indirect impact and benefit on the communities and the people uh, served by forest products industry. Could you uh, maybe tell us a little bit about how that gets incorporated into SAPI's practices specifically? So the forest products industry and SAPI is is, uh, proud to be, you know, one company within the forest products industry offering a diversity of types of uh, forest products has a, a huge ripple effect on the many times rural communities where these forest product mills and companies are based. And so companies like SAPI in the forest products industry provide that uh, sustainable, permanent, reliable jobs uh, for people in rural uh, communities, in particular communities around uh, obviously forested areas. But the ripple effect goes well beyond that. That There's some studies that, that talk about the multiplying effect. So 100 direct jobs results in over 650 indirect jobs in other professions. So I think, you know, the bottom line here is that mill jobs are a direct economic benefit to the employees and to their families, and that has a huge indirect benefit on the communities and the state. And that ripple effect is something that uh, we're quite proud of and SAPI. We have uh, community engagement and grant programs. We invest in research and engage with universities and engage with uh, environmental and social nonprofits. So say SAPI wants to create a new product with maybe a new fiber source. What, how do you evaluate a new forest and evaluate whether it's going to be a sustainable practice to get this new type of fiber source to make this new type of product? The question you ask is very pertinent, and any forest products company that's successful in today's market needs to be thinking this way. 
one of the ways in which we do that is that we are uh, triple certified under three different globally credible voluntary certification systems. And these forest certification systems have several components to them. There's a forest management component. And so for fiber and for products to be sold as certified, the forest itself and the forest landowner has to be certified. And they undergo annual audits. And there is an independent publicly available standard uh, that those forest managers have to comply with and adhere to. And so certification programs require the land to be certified. They also require the manufacturing company, in this case, Sappy North America, as an example, were required to be certified and to track that wood fiber through our manufacturing processes. And then the customer themselves, you know, a printer, paper merchant, or a distributor, they need to be certified as well to pass that end claim along to the final customer in the market. Every step of the process is being governed by standards that evolve and are improved every five years, that there's rigorous tracking and tracing mechanisms. That's great to see how seriously the certification is taken. Can you tell us any of SAPI's specific practices? We do not buy any wood fiber unless we know the origin of that wood fiber. And so we have a very deliberate supplier qualification process every year we qualify our wood fiber suppliers and many, many other, other ways. We have a supplier code of conduct that governs ethical treatment of employees and you know, compliance with uh, financial and labor laws and, and, and worker safety and worker rights. And holistically, that's also part of sustainable forestry. In terms of the actual harvesting, could you describe a couple of specific cutting practices and things like that? Sure. It's a common question to want to know, for instance, how many trees to cut, which trees to cut, when and where. However, it's impossible to answer those questions uh, with just one answer. You have to look both at a broad level, what surrounds your forest, what is necessary. For instance, maybe the a neighboring property has a uh, infestation by a particular pest. That will change what you need to do then on your forest. That's going to change what we do, how many trees we harvest, when we harvest them. It is possible to say that, again, if all of those facets are not taken into consideration and if the landowner objectives um, are not being met, then typically what we see is that those forests end up being converted to something else. And that is something that we certainly try to avoid. And again, the number of how many trees to cut will depend on what time of year you're cutting. It will depend on what species are present. Could you give us an example for our listeners? Some species like aspen. Aspen is a young forest species. The way that aspen regenerates best is to have large open areas. Aspen is actually all connected through its root system. So in a stand of aspen, if the aspen is allowed to get too old, it will normally succumb to pest and pathogen issues, and, and, and that can damage the entire root system and then prevent the ability for that aspen stand to be regenerated. And by harvesting that aspen, those resources are still present in the roots, and so that the roots can then sprout, and the roots can be part of that regeneration cycle. Could you tell us some challenges you've seen with actually practicing sustainable forestry? There will always be risks. And in fact, we have a lot of evidence now proving that risk avoidance and lack of management is actually resulting in more risk and greater detriment to our forests, to our communities, and to our economies. 
And there are going to be mistakes. There's going to be learnings. But that's how we grow as human beings. That's how we grow as a profession. And quite frankly, that's how forests grow. Mother nature is not perfect. Uh, natural disasters and catastrophes that can take an otherwise beautiful uh, stand of trees uh, and decimate it. But in that is also an opportunity. Yeah, that's really true. It's a lovely thought. I, I have a, a three and a half year old niece, and it was a joy to spend some time with her a couple weeks ago, walking her through my forest in, in eastern Wisconsin. And she noticed that there was a lot of uh, dead trees. And I explained to her that that creates room for new growth. And my three and a half year old niece proceeded to walk through the forest saying, it's okay, tree, another tree will grow in your place. That's and that so was cute. such a simple summary. It's really wonderful to see how passionate you are in this field. Do you kind of have a fun fact for our listeners about this area to end this with? So there's so many aspects that forests and healthy trees provide. Uh, the, the wild turkey. This is one of the greatest uh, success stories of wildlife restoration in our country's history, bringing the national, uh, one of the uh, nation's iconic birds, the wild turkey, from 300,000 to over 7 million in just 40 years. And that restoration could not have been done without the partnership between wildlife biologists and foresters because turkeys sleep. They roost in trees every night as young as several weeks old. And so if you don't have trees, you don't have the wild turkey. Clean air, clean water. Uh, of course, there's, the, there's oxygen, right? And the fact that uh, plants and, and trees create oxygen to breathe. And that's that's awesome. I that turkey like story is really cool. I would have never even thought about like how it affects different animals and wildlife. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners with? If you watch the way a forest grows, there's always room for hope. Because even if something that you thought you wanted or that was there yesterday isn't there today, there'll be something different there tomorrow. I, I like that. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for your time. This was very insightful. We learned a lot. Definitely stuff that I did not really know about <laughs> before. So it's great. This episode was edited and produced by Nasreen Khan and Manali Banerjee. Music is by Shang Young. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TGTM Podcast. And you can email any questions to talkgreentomepodcast at gmail.com.